Basically, getting malaria just means complete shakes, high temperature. Can I go into specifics if you're not throwing up? Then you've got major diarrhea issues as well. Um, and that's just constant. And you dehydrate very quickly as a result. And you just feel exhausted. You literally have no energy, not enough energy to just lift your head off the deck. Um, so you're basically comatose and just waiting for it to, to go. Um, it took me at least, having got off the boat, it took me at least 10 days to recover in bed, just lying motionless, didn't do anything for at least 10 days. And yeah, just crashed out, just crashed out for about 10 days, after which I was back to normal. But the process is just exhausting. It was like nothing else. So you feel completely dilapidated. There are 228 million cases worldwide every year. Many are fatal. It's for this reason governments, international organisations and the UN spend billions trying to stop a disease that has plagued mankind since the dawn of time. This is Beyond the Headlines. I'm James Haynes-Young and this week we're looking at the global battle against one of the world's biggest killers, malaria. At the beginning of the episode, you heard James Orr, an editor with The National. James, like the majority of cases every year, contracted malaria in sub-Saharan Africa. He was bitten by a parasitic mosquito on a boat trip in Malawi when he was 18. The symptoms include fever, headaches and chills. James was given medicine and recovered in about 10 days, but many are not so lucky. A child dies every two minutes from malaria. Let's start out with some basics. One important thing to remember is that mosquitoes are not the cause of malaria itself. No, they're simply carriers of a parasite that gives us malaria. They, however, are unaffected. It goes like this. A mosquito bites you in order to suck a small amount of blood to nurture their eggs. If it bites someone who has malaria, it can pick up the parasite. When it bites a second person, it can pass that on. These parasites then multiply rapidly in the liver and the red blood cells. If untreated, the parasite can continue to attack your red blood cells and clog your capillaries that carry the blood to your brain and other vital organs. There's a number of drugs that can be used to treat malaria, and usually patients need a cocktail of treatments. The effects can linger for weeks or months, and relapses are common. Because it attacks your red cells, most countries ban blood donations if you've had malaria. Malaria has been around since before the dawn of mankind. But until about 150 years ago, we really didn't understand what it was or where it came from. Well, the, the early reasoning behind disease really starts with Hippocrates in, in ancient Greece, um, which is the miasma theory. Now, they believe that uh, sickness, including mosquito-borne diseases, uh, they didn't know it was the mosquito, but that illnesses were caused by noxious particles or poisonous fumes emanating from standing water, swamps, marshlands. So malaria, literally in Italian, means bad air. Um, so they were tantalizingly close to fingering the mosquitoes that bred and, and, and lived in these marshlands, but, <laughs> but they didn't get it quite right. Um, so this prevailing theory or the miasma theory really lasts up until the 1850s um, with the modern germ theory of Louis Pasteur, Robert Koch, Joseph Lister. Uh, so the 1850s is when we start to, to look at microorganisms as a cause of, of, of disease. 
Uh, the mosquito itself is really not until the 1890s that we uncover malaria as a mosquito-borne uh, pathogen. That's Timothy Weingard, who's written a New York Times best-selling book about how the tiny mosquito inadvertently shaped the progress of human history. Here's how. Alexander the Great in his um, retreat from India was um, partially due to his army suffering from malaria uh, along the Indus River Valley system where he does an about face and, and heads back west. Uh, he also likely died of malaria um, in, in Babylon uh, with his entry through the marshy swamps surrounding Babylon contracting malaria. Uh, so throughout history, we did the rise and fall of the Roman Empire. Uh, Rome was surrounded by the Pontine Marshes, which essentially acted as a shield from foreign invasion, whether it be the Carthaginians, the Visigoths, the Huns, the Vandals. Uh, so this malarial shield surrounding Rome, 310 square miles of, of, of prime marshland for, for malarious mosquitoes, uh, allowed Rome to essentially get a foothold and start to expand. Um, uh, the American Revolution is one that people often uh, find enjoyable or surprising in, in the book. Um, Cornwallis essentially surrenders at Yorktown, not because of anything the Americans or French did, but because his army uh, holed up inside Yorktown, which is essentially uh, tidewater estuaries and marshlands, uh, was devoured by malaria. And he, he writes this repeatedly to his superior, General Clinton, uh, and also in his correspond other correspondences, that he had roughly 35% of his troops uh, who could stand up and, and essentially hold a weapon. The rest were either dead, dying, or sick with malaria. So malaria crippled his army, and the Anopheles mosquito is essentially a, a founding mother of the United States, if you will. Then, he says, the first breakthrough in treatments was the discovery of something called quinine in South America in the 1600s. It came from the bark of a tree native to Peru and is still listed by the WHO today as a treatment as it breaks down the virus. You might know it as an ingredient that gives tonic water its bitter taste. In the 20th century, methods for getting rid of malaria were crude. Use tons of chemicals to kill mosquitoes. Without the mosquitoes, there wouldn't be any malaria, right? So that worked up to a point. The US and Canada haven't had a domestic case of malaria for decades. But those early methods also caused massive disruption to ecosystems. They polluted environments with harmful chemicals and they simply stopped working. The mosquitoes developed an immunity. We've since realised that killing mosquitoes isn't necessarily the best way to get rid of malaria. Since the early 2000s, the number of people infected every year has dropped massively. But the methods that we have, like using repellents and mosquito nets to stop you getting bitten, or drugs to decrease your chances of getting it if you are bitten, aren't effective enough to eradicate it. In some places, the numbers are starting to rise again. Today, the WHO is the main coordinator in the global battle against malaria. They help to raise and distribute the billions of dollars every year for treatment, prevention and eradication. The big problem is that each of these methods has a major drawback. First, don't get bitten by using repellents, mosquito nets and other tools. But it just takes a moment to let your guard down. Second, most drugs that we take to try and stop us getting infected or to treat the infections that we get have really bad side effects. Against medical advice, a lot of people who take anti-malarials suffer such bad side effects that they simply stop taking the drugs altogether. 
In April, the WHO released a three-year study on how mankind can kill the virus for good. And the reading was stark. The study concluded that even with our most optimistic scenarios and projections, we face an unavoidable fact. Using the current tools, we will still have at least 11 million cases of malaria in Africa alone by 2050. If we hope to save millions of lives every year, we need to develop new tools, improve healthcare systems in poor, hard-hit nations, monitor the spread, and, crucially, organise sustainable finances. Even though this is a critical issue, funding is always a problem. Last year, the WHO said it needed $6 billion to fully fund its work, and they only managed to raise $4 billion. Without more action, the world will remain, as the report said, way off the target of reducing malarial deaths by 75% by 2050. So we know that malaria impacts millions of people around the world every year. We know that we're spending billions of dollars in fighting the virus and that that fight isn't going as well as we'd hoped. But a group of researchers in Kenya and the United Kingdom think they might have a novel solution. Rather than looking for a vaccine for humans, they may have found a way to stop mosquitoes themselves from carrying it. Lead researcher in the study, Jeremy Heron, explained that mosquitoes have hundreds of different microbes and parasites living inside them, and his team simply set out to study what that meant. So we're just kind of wondering what, you take a mosquito and you sort of empty out all the microbes and just kind of say, okay, well, what, what is there? And then um, what are they doing? Right. And so the one that we came across as microspiridia was, was not in all mosquitoes, but when it was there, it completely overshadowed everything else that was any other microbe in the mosquito. There was a lot of it. Um, and so that kind of made us think, okay, well, this must be doing something important. And at first we thought maybe it's actually causing disease in the mosquito because there's a lot of it. Uh, but then we found those mosquitoes were actually very healthy. Um, and so that's when we started thinking, okay, this is, you know, mosquitoes are full of this microbe. It's not hurting them. Um, I wonder if they would be able to take up the malaria parasite. And we started designing experiments to test that and found that, that they couldn't. So Jeremy and his team have found a naturally occurring parasite, or microsporidia, that lives inside the mosquitoes and seems to do them no harm in any way, but stops them being able to contract the malaria virus or plasmodium. Now, remember back to the process of how we get it. If a mosquito bites someone who has malaria and then bites you, they can pass it on. Well, Jeremy's team might now be able to interrupt that process. The mosquito bites someone who has malaria, but doesn't become a carrier, and then you remain healthy. But that's not all. The, the fact alone that it having the microbe makes you unable to take up plasmodium, for me, that's an important finding, but it's not the biggest breakthrough. The, the breakthrough here is that it's also spread from mother to offspring. It also doesn't make the mosquitoes sick. Um, so it has all the characteristics which would allow us to potentially uh, spread it through a mosquito population and for it to be maintained in that mosquito population. So the question is now, how do you get it out into the general mosquito population? Well, there are two methods that the team are looking at. 
One is spreading the microsporidia into the habitat where mosquitoes lay their eggs early on in the year before seasonal rains begin the rapid reproduction process. That way, all the new mosquitoes born in the area would carry the microsporidia. The second way is to rear male mosquitoes in a lab that have the microsporidia and then release them into the wild. Male mosquitoes don't bite and so are harmless, but through reproduction, they can pass the microsporidia to the females who then spread it to their offspring. I would expect you could increase the prevalence to a certain level and then that would last for X number of mosquito generations, which you know, hopefully would be long enough um, that you would potentially break the, the transmission cycle of, of the plasmodium. Next, they need to study the process of releasing it into the wild. We have a greenhouse with 500,000 mosquitoes living in it quite happily. And now if we release 50 male mosquitoes that are full of microsporidia, what, what then happens to that population? How does it spread through? And we'll be working quite closely with, with you know, modeling teams to understand, okay, you know, we've got a 50 kilometer island here that has malaria. How many mosquitoes would we have to release? And, and what you know, level of infection would we need? to protect this area of land from, from malaria transmission. So it's, it's really all about the, the dissemination now. How can we get it out there and how would it be feasible to get it out there? What, you know, what are we talking in terms of costs? What are we talking about in terms of longevity of protection and, and those sorts of things? Another thing giving Jeremy and his team hope is that another group of scientists have found a similar way of tackling dengue fever. The other team is further along with their studies, but it shows there is a precedent for this kind of process. And for Jeremy, the study is also somewhat personal. I grew up here in Kenya and had malaria myself quite a few times and kind of seen how it impacts people here, how it holds communities back. And I think that that has given me a bit of extra motivation to to really push this forward. There's still a lot of hurdles we're going to have to cross, and I'm very much aware of that. So any one feature could end up saying that this doesn't actually work. You know? So, But that's how all discoveries sort of start, right? You, you, you have to start somewhere, and, and if everything looks right, you dig a bit deeper, and then you keep digging. And so um, sometimes I, I go back and forth because I really... I think this is it has huge potential, but um, this is you know not not an easy disease. Something we've been dealing with for you know since the, the, the dawn of mankind, and it's almost a bit strange to think that we'll, we'll be the generation that gets rid of it, and maybe uh, I'll pay play a part in in the research that does it. Um, sometimes hard to believe that, but you've got to you've got to try, and you've just got to give it your best shot, and. and I think it's not as it's it's no crazier than any other idea we've had. It will take some time and a lot more work before we know if Jeremy's method proves successful. And even if it all goes to plan, it will probably take years before any impact of this can be felt. But it's one more weapon in the global war against malaria and could take mankind a step closer to a world where the deadly disease doesn't exist. We asked Timothy how different the world might look today if it hadn't been for malaria? It's hard to look back, and, and I call that what-if history. Uh, what if Alexander the Great didn't die and he went east and got all the way to China? Uh, the world would look 
you know, very different because it took about 1500 more years for that to happen with the, with the Mongols coming the other way, uniting uh, essentially Europe and, and the Far East permanently um, for the first time uh, with trade and, and everything else that came along those trade routes, uh, including the Black Death. <laughs> so I think it's hard to look back and, and say, what if? Um, are there any good things that came out of mosquito-borne disease? Um, again, that depends on what side of, of the coin you're on. Thanks this week to Timothy Weingard and Jeremy Heron. This was Beyond the Headlines. We were produced this week by Arthur Edison and Aisha Khan. If you want to get all the latest episodes of Beyond the Headlines, hit the subscribe button in your podcast app. And if you liked this, why not go ahead and leave us a review?